0: Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's pod, podcast is my friend Braden McFadden. And by way of introduction, we're going to talk about early release missionaries. And Braden is an early release missionary. I became aware of Braden one morning scrolling Instagram, and one of the accounts I follow on Instagram, which I encourage everybody to follow, is called Humans of... BYU, Humans of BYU. And then I read Braden's story. It's a two-part story of his journey as an early release missionary. So I encourage everybody to follow that account. I love that account, its ability to bring voice to everybody at BYU and the beautiful, unique paths that everybody walk and our ability then better to meet everybody's needs as the body of Christ. Um, But We'll get into Braden's story um, just as an overview. He's an early release missionary, he came home from a mission in Alaska um, through because of his mental health and emotional health. And he'll talk about that journey. He'll talk about how difficult it was to sort of stay a member of the church, um, even with a deep testimony of the church, and talk about that journey and ultimately how he felt his place is in the church and now um, active, committed member of the church. He's been an EFY counselor and is willing to talk about this. And I think that just helps others that um, are helping early release missionaries or are release missionaries or just had difficult things come in their life. Um, our podcast room is filled with friends of brain that have come often in these podcasts. My guest brings um, just friends with them. It's, it's a kind of a wonderful experience to share together. So um, friends, Elise, Gabby, and McKenna are here with them. McKenna is um, Braden's sister who also served a mission, and is also an early release missionary. and It's possible we'll have her share some of her journey um, as part of the uh, part of the podcast. We had a prayer before we started. We just pray that a Spirit will be here to help you. You know, a lot of you are early return, early release missionaries that um, went with full desire to do everything right and things just kind of unraveled that were outside of your control. And I hope that what Braden shares give you hope that you didn't do anything wrong and that all this was outside of your control and that we need you in our church and your gifts and contributions perhaps are even more needed because of the unique road you walk. And I hope that if your parents are local leaders working with early release missionaries, what Braden shares will give you insights on how to help other people. So with that, welcome to the podcast, Brayden.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Tell our listeners where you grew up.
1: I grew up in Texas, Dallas area. So about 45 minutes north of Dallas and McKinney.
0: And if you're a senior in high school, tell me about your life in high school, sports-wise, early morning seminary rise, what you want to be doing when you graduate. Take us back to your senior year.
1: Senior year. (laughs) It was a good year. It was a good um, year. It was a good year. Uh yeah, it was I Texas kid, I was on the football team. What position? I played outside linebacker. So I was about a buck sixty playing outside linebacker. I was a little undersized, but I loved it. I loved hitting people. Um <laughs> it's just it, it's a love I'd have my whole life. It's great. So I was playing football. Uh I was on the track team too. I pole vaulted. It's unique. So yeah, it was <laughs> it was crazy how that happened, but I was doing that. Um, I was in the choir as well. Um, they would make fun of me. They'd call me, uh, the Troy Bolton of McKinney Boyd because I was on the football team and I was singing. So the women would probably like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that, but, um, yeah, it's early morning seminary was a struggle. What it time was.
0: did your alarm clock go off? <sighs> or do you, are you blocking that from your mind? <laughs>
1: So alarm would go off at five forty-five. Brayden getting out of bed would be like five fifty-five, five fifty. 550. <laughs> and then just hustle to the to the church. So that was that's about when we, we had it started at six. Started so. at six.
0: Tell us where BYU was on your radar map. Did you want to go to BYU and, and did you want to serve a mission? Um was that or were those question marks for you at being a senior?
1: Um I so BYU was the place i growing up my dad my mom and dad met there dad played football there just we'd always gone on family trips up to utah and they'd show us around the campus they'd show us places they lived and my parents did a really good job of saying hey choose your own college you don't have to go there it's your decision um i actually had offers to play football at some other division one schools um At the end of the day, I had it, I narrowed it down to, I had BYU, Yale, and the Naval Academy were the ones that I was mulling over. And, uh, yeah, BYU was, I I couldn't deny it. BYU was the place I wanted to be. It's great. Uh, mission never really, I always wanted to go. It was something I always had on the radar. Uh, it was something I loved, um, didn't love getting up early. We had missionary prep in the mornings. It was like once a month at seven in the morning didn't like getting up for that but I always enjoyed being there and doing the doing the little exercises that we did so I was I was excited to serve a mission
0: and then you played football your freshman year yes, tell sir. us um, about your experience at B playing football that freshman year
1: uh it was it was really cool uh, it was, my whole life my dream had been Go to BYU and play football for BYU. So I kind of had an identity crisis when I got there because I was like, I have accomplished the two goals I've always had, and I'm 18. It's like, what? Cool. <laughs> what is there to do now? But it was it was really it was awesome. It was great. I I gained a lot of weight because I needed. That's to gain... – It's a good
0: thing, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was great. Um, being a guy, you know, we we're always trying to bulk up, but um, yeah, it was. I was living the dream. I was, was living in the dorms, playing football. What
0: position did you play?
1: I was safety. Safety. Yeah. So they moved me back.
0: And I shout out to my nephews, my wife's brothers, kids, Garrett Mitchell-Jurgens. Were they there during your years or they graduated?
1: Yeah, I believe that was their senior year.
0: So maybe you overlapped there. a little bit mm-hmm. with those guys. and Yeah. Just we're kind of playing safety, wide receiver, slot receiver. So <laughs> maybe you're on the same team. So we could... I'm going to... um Tell us about, um, when you left on your mission and relate, was it your whole freshman year done and you went home and left during the summer?
1: Yeah. So I put my mission papers in, actually, I got the notification today. It was today, like four or five years ago, I submitted my mission papers. So oh. I got my call in, I can't remember if it was, I think it was February, late February. And then I got the call to Alaska, um, Finished out the school year and then was home for like three weeks, four weeks and left on my mission. English speaking. English speaking. Yeah.
0: Okay. So take us to Alaska and kind of um, things started to change pretty quickly or did they change in the MTC or was it when you got to Alaska?
1: So you looking back hindsight, you know, they say hindsight's 2020, 20, but when I got to the MTC, I saw little, there was little flashes where I, the brain would start kind of oh, wigging out. What are you doing? um but i i was just like oh it's just because i'm here and i'm deciding like oh i'm actually here this is something i look forward to my whole life it was just kind of like the excitement i felt like it was the excitement and everything and then uh after like the first three days in the mtc everything was good um had a really awesome companion had a really awesome district we all were really close a lot of really cool people uh and it was just a really it was a really good setting we were all really excited to go to alaska so the mtc uh i mean it's rough for everybody i think everybody kind of has a rough time in the mtc but it wasn't i feel exponentially different for me in the mtc um it was i it was an awesome experience though because there was an elder there who was having a really rough time and i was a zone leader and the the presidency had me go on splits with him sometimes and just he would just go play the piano that was his way of coping and kind of getting used to it and cool. it was it was a really cool experience because I was like wow like hey like he's he's kind of struggling and he's fighting through like he's doing all he can. it was really kind of a motivating really cool experience to be with him but so I was like you know I'm not the only one kind of struggling there's others um but yeah other than that it was a it's a really good really good experience I, I felt like I was living but I, I, growing up, I'd seen all the pictures of my dad on his mission and uncles on their missions and friends who were older on their missions. I was like, oh, I'm finally doing it. So I was excited.
0: So take us to Alaska. This is roughly May of 2016. Mm-hmm. I may have mentioned to our listeners, Braden's 23 at this point at BYU, political science major, wants to work for the CIA one day. That's really cool. So take us to Alaska. And just kind of the story of where things broke down, changed, unplanned stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, where all the all the fun began. Um, I think it didn't. Nothing really changed the first day I was there because we were still kind of the excitement was still high. Like we got there, uh, it was it's a new place. It's it's a beautiful place. It's a very very pretty. We got there in the summer, so everything was green, growing. Uh, we saw a moose on our way from the airport to the um, mission home. So that was cool. We were like, oh, hey, moose, Alaska. That's awesome. So we got to the mission home. Uh, he let us sleep. mission president let us sleep for a while because we had been traveling a lot. And then we had, we had meetings. Um, he kind of gave us a brief overview of the Alaska mission. And went to bed that night, woke up the next day, and we we were all getting together and we drove to the uh, steak center to meet our trainers. And I feel like that's when it really kind of hit me that I was going on. I was, I think that that was the initial kind of shock when I got there was they were talking like, okay, for the next two years, the next two years. And I think that's when it hit, Oh, I'm here for two years. Like this is not going to be like, Oh, I'm here for a month or two and I'm back. It's, I think that's when the excitement kind of wore down. The reality kind of hit me. And it hit me really hard. Like, I think that that was the moment where I went from being excited about being there to like thinking of it as I just need to survive this. And so that whole time it it felt like a, this kind of cloud settled over me a little bit. Like I'd had this huge shock and then a cloud kind of settled. I was just kind of like, my mind was racing and I was like, come on, you're fine, dude. Like, this is great. You're here. But then the part of my head was like, no, dude, like we're here for two years. This is crazy. So it, it was, I was like, Like, oh, what's going on? And then we met our trainers. Uh, my trainer was a great guy. His name was Elder Cox. Um, two, two totally different people. He is, he's from St. George. He was a lot more into the computers and he was a lot smarter than me when it came to computers and things. I was the, the kind of the football guy. I was, we were very different. Um, he was a great guy, but we, 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 got together. We had like a farewell dinner or lunch. I can't remember which, then we drove back to the apartment. And, uh, I think the problem was, and once again, this was, this wasn't his fault. This wasn't anybody's fault. It was just kind of like how events fell, but for the next, we had zone conference the next day. And then the following day we had uh, weekly planning. So I was, I've noticed that when my anxiety gets bad, if I get out and move, if I'm like walking or moving, it helps it kind of calm down. Uh, but we just sat for like three days straight and just sat and sat and sat and it just kind of let the anxiety just kind of build and build and build. And I didn't know what it was because I had never really experienced anxiety before. So I was kind of like, Oh, what's going on? Like, why am I feeling so weird? And, uh, it was, it was very, it was difficult cause it was just kind of build. And then the, I didn't really have an outlet cause I didn't know what was going on. Um, my companion, he, he didn't, he just kept doing his best. He didn't really know what was going on either. He was just like, Oh, he's, he's new, which, you know, a lot of new missionaries kind of struggle at the beginning. So he was correct and kind of assuming like, okay, yeah, he's just struggling. He tried really hard to help me out, but yeah, it was just rough. I felt like, I felt like there was three Bradens. I felt like there was a, uh, a Braden that was freaking out, like, dude, we can't do this. We got, we got to do something. And then there was another Braden I was like, Hey dude, like, calm down. You're fine. Everything's okay. We're going to do this. We're going to make this. And then there was a third brain that had to kind of function and talk to people and had to like, was the face had to, had to do things. So I felt like I was constantly, even if I was talking to somebody I had in the back of my head, that constant argument and that constant fight between like the freaking out Braden and the calming Braden to try to like de-escalate how I was feeling. And, um, I think in those like first couple days, I had like four or five panic attacks, which I didn't know they were panic attacks. Tell
0: our listeners what a panic attack is.
1: So a panic attack, it's, it's kind of unique for each individual. Um, some people, it's more physical. Some people, it's more in their heads. For me, a panic attack is my brain kind of gets thinking and then it kind of runs away. It's like a runaway train and I can't stop it. I can't control my thoughts. And it, it kind of just is like, it's, I mean, that's, it's like a runaway train. It just kind of, and then it escalates, 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 and I can't calm it down. Um,
0: and if I, I'm, a, if I'm your companion, am I aware that this is going on or is this just all going on internally? Or at some points, does it manifest itself externally to people around you?
1: Um, for me, I, it was all internal. Uh, the only kind of time you can really tell if I'm having a panic attack is if I go really quiet. That's when you, you're like, oh, well, like, because I, I like to talk. I like to be involved. I like to talk to people. Uh, but if I kind of go quiet and I'm kind of shut down, that's when you can kind of like, oh, like he's because I'm sitting there trying to like I'm in my own head trying to like, hey, calm down, calm down, calm down. And it's not calming down. Um. So, yeah, it was really hard to tell if it was if it was uh, happening or not. Um, so yeah, there was no real, I think the, the way that you could tell if I was having a panic attack was we had, so our, our, kitchen and our, uh, living room was connected and we called it the elder McFadden runway. Cause I would just walk in a huge circle. If, if my head was giving me, I, t- I told him, I'm like, dude, my head's going crazy. I gotta just get up and walk. And he was really good about like elder, you have to sit there and he's like, no, dude, like if you have to get up, get up, like, I'm not gonna, so, and that actually helped getting up and just kind of walking in that circle. And so while I would, would be walking, I'd be like, giving myself pep. Like, Come on, Ellen McFadden, you got this. Like, you got this, you got this. Um, just like two years isn't that long. Like, you're okay, man. You're okay. Uh, and like, it was like, a, I was thinking about the two years or I was thinking about how I miss my family or just all these little things. And then um, sometimes we would just, I just tell him, I'd say, Hey, Elder Cox, can we just go on a walk? He's like, yeah, let's, let's, we'll just go on a walk and just getting outside and that would help. But um, it just kept getting kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm an individual who I I like to help people, but I don't like to let people know I'm having a hard time. I, I like to, I'm like, okay, this is like my problem. I'm going to deal with it. I don't want to burden anybody with how I'm feeling. So I didn't really tell a lot of people that I was struggling, I tried to put on like a, a face of like, okay, yeah, it's a little hard, but I got this, you know, this is good. Um, and I, I think I like unintentionally hurt myself a little bit by doing that, but it was, it, it kept escalating and escalating. And I remember my prayers would get, my prayers just got more and more desperate, like, Hey, Heavenly Father, I need a miracle. Like I need some help. I need some help. I remember I read the account of Alma when he, his conversion, when he was like, I never felt pain as excruciating as was my pain, but I never felt anything as was the joy of my, when I was forgiven. And I was like, oh, maybe that's what's happened. Maybe I'm having this excruciating pain so that I can feel the joy of missionary work and really have that joy in my life. So I was praying. I was like, Heavenly Father, like I'll do anything you want me to do. Um, I was like, I'll, I, will t- i will take like 15 minute breaks. We'll only take lunch for like 30 minutes. We'll do everything you ask of us in the white handbook. Just, you know, take this away. And, um, it, it just got really hard. It, I, I kept telling myself, I was like, you know, I just need to work harder. That's what I do. I just need to work harder. Cause all growing up, if thing, if anything was ever hard for me, if anything was difficult, I was always tell myself, you just got to work harder and work smarter, work harder. You can overcome it, and in a lot of things of life, that's true like if you work hard, you can but this that's the funny thing about anxiety if you work harder without necessarily taking the right steps without working in a correct way, you can actually damage yourself even more so the the harder I worked, the worse it got, and I was confused. I was like, "Hey, you know I'm trying to like I'm trying to work hard, I'm trying to do the best that I can. why is this getting worse and um. It was also like my whole life, I'd kind of known what I, what to do. I'd always been able to, to kind of lead and to know what to do. But in this case, I was a new missionary. I didn't know like the best strategies to talk to people. I didn't know how, okay, if a zone or if our district is like this, how do we fix it? I didn't know. So I was operating in the unknown, which kind of really, it was like a perfect storm of, of conditions. So it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I was like, man, like, this is not fun. This is not, this is not what they, this is not what they tell you about. Uh, and I just remember one time very distinctly, I remember we were at the church and we were in the foyer or enough, we were in the, um, I was sitting right underneath the pulpit and I was bawling. I was just bawling, and I was like, "God, like, why is this happening to me? Why, why are you letting this happen? Like, I just want to serve you. Why are you, why are you letting me break down like this?" And I was just bawling, and my, I just remember my companion was sitting right behind me, just had his hand on my shoulder, and it I was, I was beginning to question things I'd never questioned before, because I was like, "This, this is not how this is supposed to go. This is not the, this is not how the the roadmap is supposed to unfold." I mean, yeah, I'm supposed to struggle, but not like this. So I was really starting to question a lot of things. And, um, I remember one thing about panic attacks too, is you don't think rationally when they get really bad. And I got to the point where I was like, you know, what if I just like broke my ankle or something? What if I just did something so I could go home? And I was thinking of ways to kind of get out of it. And I was like, But at the same time, I was like, I was thinking of ways to get out of it. But at the same time, I was like, I'm the oldest of five kids. I'm the example. I'm trying to set a good example for my siblings. I'm trying to be that. I'm trying to pave that road. Um, Everybody in my ward, they all, they've told me like, oh, our son looks up to you. Oh, our son. And I was like, I can't let them down. I can't, I can't be that person that lets that kid down. That kind of, I have to fight through this for them. I have to do this for them. So, um, it, it got, it got pretty bad. Like I, I would say I was reduced down to like straight animalistic, just survive, just get through the day. My only relief was going to bed because I was like, okay, I can get away for like a couple hours. And even then, like, sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and my brain would instantly start going. So I'd be up for like an hour or two before I could fall back asleep. So it just got very, like, I lost 30 pounds. I was barely eating. Um, And at the same time, I was pushing myself harder and harder because I was like, I just got to keep working hard. Just got to keep working hard. And it was just really doing a number on me. And I was like, there was times when my panic attacks were so bad. I was like, you know what? If I just died, this would all be so much easier. I was like, that that would simplify things so much. And that thought really scared me because... I would have that thought when I was in the worst of the panic attack and then, you know, panic attacks eventually end. And once they ended, I was like, did I really consider that? Like, did I really think dying might be a better option?
0: Would that include suicide? Did you have suicidal thoughts?
1: I would say yes. I, I mean, there was one time I remember where I was kind of just laying down on the ground and I looked over at this cord and I was like, Hmm, what if I just, you know, tied it around my neck or something. And then instantly that when I came out of that panic attack, I was like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Why would I even go there? Like I would never rationally think of something like that. So I think that's the straw that kind of broke the camel's back. I was like, okay, I am definitely not in a good place right now. Like if I'm thinking of stuff like this, that I've never even considered in my life, like this is not good. So I remember on a P day, I was like, I finally emailed my parents. I was like, Hey, this is what's going on. This is the real deal. This is what I've been thinking, how I've been feeling. And my parents were like, all right, we're going to, we're, we're calling your mission president like this. This is, this isn't good. You're not in a good situation. Good. And I remember my mission president called us and was like, Hey, Elder McFadden, you want to come down to the the mission home and talk to me? And I remember, I don't know why I said this, but I was like, oh, I don't know, president, like it might ruin my companion's P day. Like this is his only day off. And I was like, oh. here you are thinking of others. <laughs> I, I was like, I, I, well," and I genuinely felt bad. I was like, this is his only day. I'm like, he's had to put up with me these past six weeks. And that hasn't been easy. Um, so I just remember and I, I'm like, oh, that was, uh, I, can't. I, I wanted that meeting, but at the same time I didn't want that meeting. It was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I went and went and talked to him. And the second I got in there and started talking, I just broke down crying. Um, I just, I told him everything. I was like, I, I just, I've been struggling really hard. And he's like, all right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to call your parents and you can talk to him for a bit. So he got his phone out, dialed my parents, put the phone on the table, walked out. Um, it was ringing the second my parents answered. I just broke down again. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. Like, I want to come home, but I don't want to come home at the same time. Um, I didn't know what to do. And so my mom said something that really kind of helped me. She's like, you know what? We're taking this out of your hands. Like we are taking, cause you are clearly not in a good place right now. And we don't want you to have to make that decision. So it's, <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're taking this out of your hands. And I remember I was like, dang it. But at the same time, I was like, Oh, thank heavens. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to make that decision. Um, so they were like, my, parents were like, you know, this, this is not your, this is not you anymore. We're, we're ta- you're our kid. We're, you're, you're not making this decision. So, um, mission president came back in and he's like, ah, we'll have you go talk to a specialist real fast and see if, you know, there's some medicine you can take. We can keep you at the mission home till you get back on your feet. I was like, all right, yeah, I can do that. And so I went to the, uh, we went to a building, um, it was like 10 minutes away and there was the uh, one of the cho- church social services, people there. And I remember going in and talking to him. He's like, all right, here, take this test. And then I filled it out and I gave it back to him. <laughs> I just remember looking at his eyes. They just got really big. And I was like, that's probably a test. I didn't want to ace, but, uh, <laughs> I aced that test. So he was just, I was like, uh, there we go. Um, and so he called my companion and he's like, all right, what we need you to to do is just look after each other and, you know, be there for each other for a while. And the whole time I'm like, dude, I know you're talking about me. Like <laughs> you don't have to, but it was, it was very nice. He was like, just, you know, look out for each other, make sure you're both doing good. And we got back in the car. And that's when I really knew I blew that test out of the water because our mission president called us and his tone was totally different. It was, it wasn't, um, it was no longer, hey, we're going to see if we can get you some medication, take you to the mission. It was, all right, we're going to get you home as soon as we can. And so I was like, oh, okay, like this this is pretty serious. And I I remember sitting there in the car and I was like, I'm going home. Like this, never in my wildest dreams that I think this would happen. I This didn't even enter the realm of possibility for me. So I was... I was like, what? what is this? So they they worked very quickly. And the next day I was on a plane that next evening. Um, I was on a plane to Dallas, direct flight to Dallas from Anchorage to Dallas. And that was one of the, the suckiest plane rides I've ever had in my life. I remember uh, it was interesting because they had a, uh, in the area we were in, there was a little outdoor library and I love to read. And so i we were kind of just looking at it. We put a book of Mormon in there, um, one day and I grabbed a book and I liked it. And I was like, Oh, cool. Um, and I brought it back to the apartment and then I was going to return it. But, um, I remember I was sitting on the couch and I was like reading it, reading it. My command was like, dude, that's not like church material. And I was like, dude, this is getting me through the day I'm reading it. So, um, I had it in my bag. And I got on the, uh, I was getting onto the plane and I was kind of looking in my bag and I still had the book in there. I'd forgot to return it. So I was like, oh man, like, dang it. So I just remember the whole flight home just to distract myself, I just read that book. That's interesting. I was like, I'm just gonna pile through this book. Um, Yeah, it was like, I remember, cause I, I hate turbulence, I'm not a fan of turbulence. And on that flight home, every time we had turbulence, I'd be like, you know, this plane crashed I wouldn't be too uh too torn up about it <laughs> wouldn't have to face my family wouldn't have to face people I, okay you know that that's the only time I've ever been okay with turbulence was on that flight home so fly home get to McKinney or to Dallas um it was like morning time and um get off the plane go to baggage claim <laughs> and there was nobody there I walked out and like eh, fitting you know And I learned out later that they had told my parents the wrong gate. So they're at the wrong gate. And so I was like,
0: all right, well, you have no phone.
1: Yeah. I had no phone. I was like, this is the perfect ending to a perfect couple weeks. Um, so I was just sitting there at baggage claim and then I heard my name and I turned into my parents and I knew I was messed up when I saw the look in my parents' face because their eyes just got really big. They were like, they just kind of looked at me. Um, and I mean, they, they didn't just stand. Like they ran up and gave me a like, big bear hug. My mom and dad hugged me and started crying. And that's when I broke down and started crying. I was like, I was just bawling. Um, and I remember asking them later, I'm like, why, why did all why did I look so like, why did y'all stop for a second? And they were like, cause you honestly looked like a shell of yourself. Like that suit that you were wearing when you left, you filled it out pretty nicely. Not when you were back, you were you were barely like the suit was swallowing you. And they were like, your shoulders were slumped. You, you couldn't look anybody in the eye. Um essentially I looked like a broken individual. And they were like, We didn't know that it had gotten that bad for you. Like we we remember what you'd said, but they were like, We we didn't know that. And I my uh my mission president had told them they were like, what he's gone through, because I was only out for a transfer they're like, well, he's gone through in a transfer was more than most missionaries go through in their full mission. What
0: a great thing for mission presence to say.
1: Yeah, it was, it was incredible. So I tell people, I'm like, I took the expedited mission. <laughs> I, I did the, the quick, the fast pass. So, but, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was, it was a long car ride home. I remember I was just sitting in the backseat uh, my dad was driving, my mom was sitting next to me. She's just holding me and I was just crying the whole time. I was like, I'm sorry. I failed. I failed. I'm sorry. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better and get back out there. I'm going to get better and get back out there. I'm sorry. Um, and that was like all I could say the whole ride, but I was just bawling. Um, cause I did, I felt like I'd failed majorly. I was like, man, like this, I'd failed my siblings. I'd failed people that looked up to me. Um, I had failed God because I didn't fight through it. Um, completely, you know, irrational thoughts, but they were they were the thoughts I was having at the time because I genuinely felt like I had failed. So it was a it was a really long car ride home. Um and then I remember when we got home, um I, my stuff was still out in the back and my parents went inside and I just kind of sat in the car for a second and I was like. i gotta go face my siblings now like their older brother has to go in there and um i I didn't want to go inside i was like maybe i just sit in this car for the next 60 years you know uh but eventually I, i went inside and they were my siblings were amazing they all just ran up and gave me a hug acted like nothing was wrong just loved me and that's what I needed at that moment. Cause I'd felt, I kind of felt like I, I was an outcast. I kind of felt like I had failed and I didn't deserve other people's love and attention because I had failed, which, like I said, totally irrational, totally wrong thoughts, but it's just kind of how I felt. But my siblings instantly came up, gave me hugs. Um, didn't treat me any differently. Just loved on me. Uh, uh, and I remember my mom gave my sister McKenna a, a job. She's like, McKenna, you, your job is to, is to make him smile. Every day you have a job to make him smile. Um, and she did a really good job about it. It was very impressive. because uh, most days I did not feel like smiling. I'm like, I don't want to smile. There's nothing to smile about. Um, but yeah. And I remember, I realized that a part of me was like, Oh good, I'm home. So all my problems are gone. And that changed because I remember that changed when I went upstairs to take a nap and I woke up thinking I was still in Alaska and just started to have a panic attack. And I remember the room was dark and I just like stumbled to the door and just kind of looked out and I was like, Oh yeah, thank heavens. I'm home, I'm not in Alaska. I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe this followed me home. And so that, that was kind of like the longer process that really, I, I thought I was, I thought my journey was kind of over, but I didn't really realize that's kind of when it, when it began, when the worst parts kind of began.
0: Let me um, ask you a couple of questions and I want to have you talk about the first time at church and for sure some of that. So, and maybe you'll get to this, talk about your mom if she were on the podcast right now what? uh, and you've got some siblings here that you're all lighting up about your mom. So if you're listening, mom, you've got a lot of love here. What about her story that gave you, that said, we want you to come home or whatever word. That's a really unusual thing for a mom with a missionary out six weeks to say to her missionary, what, what helped her get to that point where she took that decision out of your hands and said that, will you just speak for her a little bit?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, if she was here right now, she'd be getting mad at us because we'd be making her cry. Um, Well, there's a lot of listeners crying out too. (laughs) But uh, no, she, me and my mom have, we have a very special, like I have a special relationship with both my parents. Um, But my mom, we, we think very similarly. Um, She, she has anxiety too. We just say she's too stubborn to admit it. Um, She's an extremely strong woman Mm -hmm. who is, I mean, she's an amazing woman. And she kind of influenced all of us to be better. And I think she kind of knew at that point, um, she's always been extremely close to the spirit Uh, when, when I was younger and even now, if I have hard decisions, I'm, I'm always like, mom, what do you think? What do you think about this? And she's like, well, Brayden, you can pray and get, I'm like, uh, but I want to know what you think. She's always been extremely close to the spirit. And, um, I think she kind of realized like, oh, like he's having anxiety. Like this is, I, now that I think of it, she did say that she's like, Brayden, this is anxiety. That's when I first kind of was like, oh, that's what's happening was on that call. She was like, oh, Braden, this is anxiety and you're not thinking straight. And I think that's when she was like, okay, he's not thinking straight. He's in a really bad situation. I know what that's like. Cause I have that a little bit. So I'm going to take the decision out of his hands. Cause I know that'll kind of help him out. So it was, I think that was kind of what clued her in was she's like, oh, this is anxiety. He's having anxiety. So we need to, she's like, okay, no more. He's not thinking straight. This is no longer his decision. He's, we need to, and she, her and my dad were up until this point, they were like, I mean, not like you can't come home. They're like, Brayden, we know it's hard, but you can do this. You can do this. Um, because I mean, every, every missionary has a, they kind of, they struggle when they first get out because it's a huge change. Um, and so they just thought, oh, he's just going through those initial struggles. And so they're like, you got this, you know, you can do this. We believe in you. But then the second that they realized, oh, he's, this is more than just that, they were like, okay, no, he, he needs to come home like this. This is something that can't be fixed there that he needs to come home.
0: It's a good answer. And I know as lots of parents that have, you know, children on missions are aware of the normal sort of bumps that hit the road, Mm -hmm. but there's a. A level of discernment, I think sometimes parents receive personal revelation for their kids. That's a doctrine I believe in, Mm -hmm. and moms in particular. And I just admire your mom's sensitivity to the Spirit and her understanding of you to get from all the hopes to have you serve a complete mission. And that's been part of her hope, too, just like yours, to get to this point pretty quickly where she did that. And I think it's a parenting home run. Mm-hmm. For her to be sensitive enough to the spirit to sort of put her hopes and dreams and sort of reset those in a really quick way and say, you know, that I need to get my son home to get him healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so great job. And I, I really admire your parents for doing that. But talk about this. Some, as things are sort of unraveling, um, and this is my experience sort of being as a bishop, some would then, as you're sitting underneath that pulpit and you're thinking, some would then think I've messed up sometime in my past. There's some, every missionary going to mission has made mistakes. So then some mm. would conclude that somehow they're unworthy of God's love or they've done something and they kind of go through the spiral of, of over, o, sort of self, over self analyzing everything they've ever done wrong. And that, for, did you do that or were you able to kind of say this isn't a worthiness issue? This is something different?
1: Um, I, I think it was definitely more along the line. It I I didn't really thinking back. I don't think I ever really felt like oh I'm being punished for good. past sins. I good. I didn't. I never really felt like that. And my my parents really. And in my bishop, my bishop was amazing. Like good. I remember, he came over, like the because he knew I was coming home because he's the bishop. Um, he came over like the night after I came home, and he just talked to me. He, he didn't say anything about a mission. He, he just, he's like, hey, how you doing, man? Like, just normal conversation. Um, he didn't wait for me to, he didn't bring up the mission. He waited for me to bring it up. Um, and he was just, he's like, hey, you know what? I'd love to take you out to eat sometime. Um, just really acted very well about it. So
0: I like that because some would conclude when things don't go right, they look inward and say, I'm outside of God's lover. I've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And they would conclude that it's about them and it's a worthiness issue. This is not a worthiness issue. Mm-hmm. And I liked you had the maturity to separate and probably the skills to separate that and recognize this is not a worthiness issue. This is different. Mm-hmm. Talk about, um, let's go to kind of part two and this, um, humans of BYU did a good job because they made this two different Instagram posts. Mm-hmm. And I saw the first one that was anxious to see the second one um shortly after. But talk about it starts with I felt judged the second I walked back into church, um, my first Sunday. Tell yeah. us just about that and and then how difficult even attending church became.
1: Yeah. So it was kind of funny because when our bishop came over, he was like, Hey, um, after we've been talking a while, he's like, Hey. Like, I know it might, it would be hard, but we'd love to see you on church Sunday. I know that might be hard for you. Don't, I remember I was sitting, there, I was like, you know what? Is it okay if I get up in church and talk for like the first 30 seconds, first minute? And he just kind of looked at me, he's like, you want to get up and talk and say something? And I was like, yeah, can I can I get up and talk and say something? And he was like, for sure. Like, you, you can definitely get up and talk. Um, so I remember that Sunday, I walked in. And I kind of expected everything to be like it used to be. And, but then I walked in and the second I walked in, everybody that looked at me, I mean, people were obviously looking at me because they're like, Oh, like, I mean, that's just how humans are. We're like, Oh, he's home. Like everybody's curious. Why is he home? Um, not necessarily in a judgmental way, just kind of in a way of like, Oh, this is new. We are wondering why he's here. But I felt like every eye that was on me was like, why is he home? Like, did he do something on his mission wrong? Did he, did he screw up? Did he like, why is he home? Like, why is he here? He should be on a mission. Um, which obviously isn't like majority of those people were obviously not thinking that, but that's just how I kind of interpreted it. And I remember I kind of walked in there. Um, at first I was like, I was kind of standing tall. I was like, Oh, I'm back, back where I belong. But then as it kind of went on, I just kind of shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And I was like, oh man, what am I doing here? Like all these people looking at me, man, they're probably so disappointed. They're probably wondering why I'm home. Uh, and then I like got up on the stand to, to sit there to talk, which was even worse. Cause then you're like right there in front of everybody. And I was just like, oh, this was a dumb idea. Why did I want to do this? Um... But I got up and I kind of talked and I was like, hey, I'm home for medical reasons. Um, I still have a testimony. I still love this church. That was kind of like the bare bones of what I said. And I went down and with my parents. But I just remember as the meetings went on, I was like, mm, this is not because we talk a lot about happiness, hope and joy in the church. And rightfully so, because I mean, those are the things we should be looking for. But I was like, I'm feeling none of that right now. Like, do these people realize that bad things can happen? And like, even if you're living the doctrine, the best you can, you're not guaranteed to be happy, joyful, at peace all the time. Um, So I think that was the, the point where I was really kind of like, I think that's where I, I kind of started to lose my testimony a little bit because I was like these people like they they don't really get it they're not talking about they're talking about all these fluffy good stuff but there's real nitty gritty stuff um, and I remember I mean there was it was that whole summit it was nothing but love like I remember a lot of people came up to me and they said they didn't say anything about my mission. They just came up to me. I had like four or five people, Hey, do you want to go get lunch sometime this week? Or Hey, do you want to just didn't say anything about the mission? Didn't ask me about it at all. Just, it was just love. And I was, I was really grateful for that. Um, but at the same time, I still kind of felt judged. I felt very much judged, um, internally Uh, I mean, there was obviously no signs of that externally because they were all like most of the people coming up to me and just very loving and very kind. But internally, I felt very much isolated and alone and very much like I wasn't worthy to be in these people's presence anymore. I was like, I failed. I came home early. I shouldn't be here. I don't belong here. Most of these people serve missions for two years. Most of these people have honorable, like served honorable missions. I don't belong with these people. I came home early. I, I shouldn't be here. Um, and that's kind of how I felt. And then um, it just, it was kind of like a, a downward slope from there because shortly thereafter, I, I got diagnosed. They had, they said, you have PTSD from your mission. So anything church related um, just did not go well for me. I I would try to read the scriptures, start having a panic attack. I'd try to say a prayer, start having a panic attack. I'd walk in for sacrament meeting, start having a panic attack. Like it's funny because even to this day, I've gotten over it. But um, if it's Sunday and I hear the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and hymns, my anxiety rises a little bit. I don't know why. It's kind of like a weird little thing, but, and I love the, uh, moment's an choir. I think they're great. It's just like an internal reaction is it's, that's just that one thing where I'm like, Oh man. So it's funny how it's lingered a little bit, but it, it was, yeah. Anything church related. How long after
0: your mission were you diagnosed with PTSD because of the mission?
1: Uh, it took a while. Um, a
0: year later, six months before you kind of had to recognize that not only, you were working through your emotional health because of you know the mission, but the mission actually generated the PTSD. So, mm-hmm. would the PTSD diagnosis be a year later, six months later?
1: It was about a month after a month I came later. home. So yeah, was it was too long. Yeah, it was quite some time. Um, I was meeting at the time. They had me meeting with a uh, church social services um, counselor, and he was a very nice individual. Tried to help a lot, but I think he was trying to help me with more of the mission aspect of it, like it being okay that I came home. And I remember thinking, I'm like, dude, that's, that's not what I need help with. Like, I know I messed up. I know I know I was supposed to come home. I need help with what's going on in my head right now. Like, why am I having panic attacks all the time? Why am I just constantly depressed? Why am I just constant. Why is my brain just, it felt like my brain was trying to hurt me. Like, why is my own brain trying to hurt me? Like, what can you answer those questions instead of, um, and I don't think I made it very clear to him that that was kind of what was bothering me. So it wasn't his fault at all. But, um, and like initially when I got home, my anxiety levels did drop a little bit, but I remember talking to somebody later on. Um, and he was like, well, yeah, that's usually what happens when you get back in comfortable surroundings. Things kind of drop a little bit, but then they kind of, they'll, they'll go back up. So he didn't think, um, I wasn't on any kind of medication until like a month or two after I'd been home. And so, and that was like, when things like, it got to the point where I, I literally could not get out of bed and take a shower without my parents helping me just couldn't get out of bed. Didn't want to move. Didn't want to do anything. Um, I just remember it was like this dark fog over my head, and I was like, my brain hurt constantly because, um, I was constantly fighting it still. Um, even if I was engaged in an activity or doing something, I, no matter when it was, it was always in the back of my head, this knot of like anxiety and fighting. And no matter what I did, it was always there and it never went away. Um, And at times, like, I I realized that when I went to the gym, that helped me a lot. Um, And when I did, there were certain things that would kind of help push the fog back a little bit. But it always inevitably came back. So, it it was, I I definitely was, like, broken down. I went from being, from playing football at BYU to not being able to take a shower without my parents' help. So, it it was very humbling and kind of... Scary, scary reduction on behalf
0: of our listeners just mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people right now who just love to jump through the mic and give you a big hug <laughs> that are in gyms or driving that have had some tears in their eyes just because you're so courageous to share this story and i know your sister here is kind of a similar story and um, mckinnon maybe we'll have you do a podcast on your story too or weave you in a little bit to this one but it's really courageous what you're sharing, and you're a very good communicator, so you've been on a really brutal road, but you also have some really gifts to communicate that brutal road, and some of the visual imagery you're bringing to your brain and the knot and the two sides of your brain, it's part of, you have a gift of communicating um, the road you're on. Yeah,
1: I've had a lot of time to think about it, <laughs> that's for sure.
0: So um, church-generated PTSD is kind of mm-hmm. interesting, we don't, I've never had any training on that. I've recognized that at times people have experiences in our church that can generate PTSD. Mm-hmm. And it's not because our church isn't true or because there's bad people in our church out to create PTSD. It's just sometimes what happens, and that happened to you for in an Alaska. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you kind of got a term for that. Um, just exp- how did that, you know, some of the things in your second post talked about how difficult it was to attend church and even have you turning feelings, bitter feelings. I don't know if those are towards the church or just kind of mm-hmm. explain because of this, where it brought you with your feelings about the church and then how you work through that.
1: Yeah. Um, I honestly, and did you
0: think you would leave and just can, were you ever thinking of leaving the church? we mm-hmm. that in there too.
1: For sure. Um, honestly, I, the best word I could use to describe it and I'll obviously explain, it, but like I, I, felt betrayed. I was like, Oh, what what's going on? I left to serve you. I I left to serve a mission for you. I left to bring people, um, for God. I left to go bring people to you and try to spread your gospel. And this is what happens to me. I get torn down to the point where I can't take a shower without my parents helping me. And um, like I honestly I felt because I was like in the past whenever I'd been having a hard time whenever uh things hadn't been going good I pray i'd read my scriptures and those would always calm me down i'd always feel n- not peaceful every time but i always felt like okay like things are gonna i'd always had come out of that rejuvenated in a way but now every time i try to do those things i was reduced to a panic attack and i was like why would you why would you take that away from me why that's something that i held so dear and it's just me trying to do what you ask each and every one of us to do. You ask each and every one of us to pray, to read our scriptures, to do these things and that you will bring us peace. Why am I getting panic attacks? Why am I getting kind of left like thrown to the wind on this? Why is it messing me up? Um so yeah, I felt I kind of I felt very betrayed. Uh
0: and was that it towards God or the church or equal?
1: Um more towards god more towards god more towards okay. god um i definitely uh the tr- it was de- church was definitely really pretty rough because um like it or not there were some individuals who were like oh why are you home like why are you here and it minority like no nowhere near the vast majority of the people of the church when I came home were kind and loving and very accepting, but there were a few that, um, it was kind of like, there was a little bit of judgment. Um, and that kind of made me, well, and like, I remember when I was giving my, uh, I was talking to, what is it? When, uh, when you come home from your mission and you give your report, coming. Homecoming. Um, yeah it was like the rep- yeah the high council report it was the high council report i remember i was in the high council report and i was kind of explaining everything that was happening and one of the guys in there was like um i can't remember he was, he was an older gentleman but he was like uh, yeah you know like i think um what uh, president Hinckley said about service really could have helped you in this situation. Yikes. And I remember afterwards we, uh, we got in the car and my mom and dad both look at me and like, we wanted to punch that guy. Um, and yeah, it was like, and I just remember looking at him when he said that and I was like, dude, you're not in my head. You don't know what was happening. Uh, I, I, I understood he was trying to come from a good place, but it was just, there was just kind of a lack of understanding of what was happening. Um, and it was like I was like dude I tried that like I remember when I was on my mission I was like oh yeah President Hinckley said service so when we were every time we were home I'd look for something to do for my companion I'd always and I mean that obviously didn't that that's not the end-all be-all cure for mental health so when he said that I was kind of like oh come on man like um
0: yeah I think that minimizes your road. And it's a platitude. A platitude is where I say something pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, it keeps me emotionally safe and I don't have to sort of uh, realize the difficulty of your road by listening to your story and getting in your head mm-hmm. to your point. So I think we just need to move past that and not give you a story of another story that, of a situation that worked out differently than yours. And that's part of what you're doing is helping to mature as a church culture because um, we're all kind of getting in your head right now, Braden. <laughs> mm-hmm. you're uh, you're letting us in your head, so to speak. Mm-hmm. so now we develop better skills to understand your road. Yeah. Talk about just the bit the just your journey with the church, a feeling maybe you even may leave mm-hmm. or you needed to leave or even you're talking with your parents potentially about leaving the church and ultimately why where that went and why you stayed and how you worked through that because, I've met with a lot of people that feel kind of similar feelings as you Mm -hmm. They don't have doctrinal issues with the church or it's sometimes just a unique journey within the church that it's difficult to navigate.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah. It it got to the point where the only thing I did church related was go to sacrament. Uh, My parents were like, yeah, we get it. But they were like, you, the least you do, you're gonna, you're gonna come to sacrament (laughs) like that. That's you don't have to do anything else, but we want you to be a sacrament. Um, and so I remember sitting in those sacrament meetings. I mean, I'd hunch over my chair so that people couldn't really see me. I was like, don't look at me. Um, I'd feel my anxiety would rise. And then there'd be talks about, um, well-meaning talks about, oh, if you pray, you'll receive an answer. Oh, if you just read your scriptures, I'll just remember sitting there. Did that, didn't work. Did that panic attack did that, and I just I'm like do you guys really even get it like do you, like do these does this like make sense do you, do, is I want to live in your world because that would be great um and I mean all these people were well-meaning people like not trying they were living what they believed and so I mean I was never angry at them I was just angry at like um just the lack of understanding and honestly, the, it was funny. The only, the only conference talk that I could read and the only person I could really connect with was Elder Holland. Um, I thought you'd say that. <laughs> yeah. I I honestly watched his Like a Broken Vessel video every other day. And I was like, this guy gets it. Like, he knows what it's like to um, have this kind of mental health. And, um... I need to, I've been meaning to, ever since I got home, I've been meaning to like write him a letter or something to let him know that, but I haven't gotten around to it. But that really was the only thing I could, if somebody said in their talk, I'm getting my remarks from Elder Hall and I'd be like, okay, yeah, like I can, I can listen to this. Like, this is good. But, um, yeah, he was the only, only general authority who I felt like understood and kind of got what I was going through. Um, And so, yeah, those were the only types of messages I could get. And I, I remember I turned to like, um, I played a lot of video games. I watched a lot of TV. I did a lot of things that were more worldly because those were distractions from how I felt. And they were, I was like, okay, I can do this and not really have to worry about how my head hurts and how I have this knot in the back of my head and this fog over me that makes everything like gray and black and depressing. I can get away from that for a little bit while I'm doing these things. Um, and I remember I was always like, this, these are all, these are all temporary. Every time I stop doing these things, I have to go back. I mean, I, I totally understood how people can get addicted to things. Cause I was like, okay, escape, it's, yeah, it's an escape. It's a temporary happiness and you just want to keep doing it. So you sure. don't have to get off of that high. Um, so I, cause the worldly things, they were all they were, they, Yeah. I enjoyed them, but they were, they were temporary. They were all very temporary. And, um, I, but I was bitter. I was angry and I felt betrayed and I was like, you know what, God, these things make me happy. Praying, reading the scriptures, do, doing the things you asked me to do, give me anxiety. So I'm going to go this way. Cause I'm actually, I can actually survive this way um and that's when it got to the point where i was like you know what if i just left the church like maybe that would help um maybe just disassociating myself from all the things that brought me anxiety hey you know then i wouldn't have to have these panic i wouldn't have these tr- panic attacks triggered i wouldn't be wouldn't be sitting here having to worry about things like that so that's when i really kind of was like you know i should just leave the church so and that's when i had um, a really great conversation with my mom about it, uh, because she was like, we were. Having, I was talking to her about it. I was like, Mom, I, you know, I think I, I think I want to leave. Like, I think I wanna, I wanna go my own way, and because this is, this hurts too much. This just hurts too much, and I'm tired of, of hurting. I'm tired of feeling this way. Cause I felt like through my process of recovery, it felt like I took one step forward and two steps back. Um, I learned, I learned to not hope because hope wasn't good because eventually I was going to get torn down again and I would just be, so I, I got to the point, I didn't hope, uh, I didn't hope for a better tomorrow. I didn't hope for better things. Um, just got really sad and depressed and I was like, you know, I just, I, I just need to leave. And I was talking to my mom and she was like, you know what? I want, I want you to think about it because this is a big decision and I will love you no matter what. This doesn't, whatever you choose doesn't change how I feel about you. Um, but I, this is a big decision. I want you to, I want you to think about it. And so I remember I was like, I was sitting somewhere and I was just thinking about it. and I realized, I was like, you know, the happiest I've ever been. Was doing things that the church asks asks us to do, like be with family, be with people you love, um, and just I just remembered one time while well, I was thinking about. I remembered my senior year. I it was it was around Christmas time, and we had everybody. Everybody was home. It was that sacrament where all the college kids come home, all the family comes in town. Uh, it was decorated. We had all the poinsettias and everything. And I was up. uh, I was going to bless the sacrament, and I just remember looking, and you know, everybody was just so happy, just being together as a family and just old friends. Um, My dad was so happy because he was the young men's president, and he got to see all of his young men that came home from from college. Uh, There was people there that weren't necessarily active anymore, but they came to that program. We just, it was it was okay. Like, it was like, Hey, like, good to see you. It wasn't like, Oh, I haven't seen you in church for a while. It was like, good to see you. And there's just so much love in that room. And I just remember sitting there thinking this, this is it. This, this is happy. This is the good stuff. This is, and I still remember it to this day. And I was just like, this is what I want. This is what the church is about. Just love brotherhood, sisterhood, being together that's the doctrine of Christ It's just love. And I thought of that time while I was sitting there, I was like, you know, yeah. even if the church isn't true, like even if I end up, I'm still the happiest when I am doing the things the church asks me to do and following the doctrine. So, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe I should say. So I told my mom that and she's like, okay, good. I'm glad you made your decision. Now we're going to fight. Now we're going to get you back. So that was, that was kind of the point. Um, where I decided to to kind of turn things around and start fighting a little harder. So it was a, it was a big decision. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, I, had I think this was when I was at my lowest because I had the gospel taken away from me. Uh, at this point I had learned that about concussions I'd had playing football. Um, and that made football out of the question. I couldn't play football anymore. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was hard. It's a big deal. Yeah, it was it was rough because up until then football had been my identity. If you could if you asked me what my identity was, it was gospel football. That was kind of my and I literally had just gotten those two things taken away completely. And so I was at my lowest. I was like <laughs> I was like, I remember I just look on like, you want to take anything else from me? Like I don't have anything else for you to take. And that's when I I kind of made that decision that okay, you know. Yeah, I, I'm broken down to a level I never thought I'd be broken down to, but this is something I love, this is something I care about and I'm going to fight to get it back. So, that's when the process of um of kind of changing came back and that's when I really started to push and started to try to um get back to that point where where I could find peace and happiness in the gospel again. It was it was a long path too. but um I remember I was like crap how am I going to do this like how am I going to get back to and my mom's like Brayden, you just and she said something too that she was like I know that we say that the lord gives us stuff that we can handle like oh we, he won't give us something more than we can handle and she's like I think that should be modified to say I will not give you something you cannot handle without the help from others. I love that. Like I, I genuinely think that the Lord gives us hard trials that we can't handle because he wants us to reach out and ask for help from others. Because I, me personally, I feel like that's how he talks to us mostly is through others is through comments others say, or the love of other people. And so he tries to, he tries to teach us. He's like, Hey, Like these people around you, your circle, these are the people that matter. And I honestly, I wouldn't be where I am today without the people that were around me. That was a big weight off my shoulders. I was like, I don't have to fight this alone. I have a lot of people in my corner who are going to help me fight this and help me, help me win. I don't have to do this by myself. Um, And so that's what my mom said. She's like, Braden, we're all in this with you. You don't have to fight this alone whenever you feel like things are getting too hard for you, you tell us and we'll, we'll be like, your sister will come make you smile. Your other sisters will come talk to you. Your brother will bother you and annoy you and, you know, get your mind off of it. Like we're all here for you. So that's when it really kind of, I was like, Oh, Hey, you're like, I don't have to fight this by myself. Like I don't have to shoulder this burden by myself. I have others. And, um, that's, I, I remember I was like, I started reading the scriptures again and it got, I was like, I read one verse and I was like, Oh, panic attack. Like, eh. but then I was like, you know what? I, I got to fight through it. You know, I got it. I got to I can't. The thing with anxiety is that it's scary. It's strong. It's terrible. And it will control you if you let it. But it, the thing is you just, you have to make the decision like I'm going to fight it. And I am not going to let my anxiety dictate who I am. I'm my own person. Anxiety doesn't define me. I define who I am. Um, and fighting, it takes many different forms. Like, I mean, there's people, like I said, people experience panic attacks in different ways. They experience anxiety in different ways. But at the end of the day, I feel like you have to fight it in your own way um, so that you keep it from defining you. So that's what I did. I was like, all right, you know what? No, this, this my anxiety is not going to define who I am and what I believe. I'm not going to let this win. So I, I'd struggle through, um, and I was meeting with, um, professionals to, to kind of help me out with the, with, Good. with like strategies and how to, how to fight these things. Um, yeah, put a big plug in for those. Cause that's, you, you definitely cannot, I mean, they're professionals for a reason and they know what they're talking about. Um, and medication is not a bad thing. It's not something that you should be scared of. Uh, it was something I was scared of initially. Cause I was like, I don't want chemicals controlling my brain. But, um, one of the, uh, the people I worked with, he told me, he's like, uh, medication used correctly. It doesn't control your brain. It helps you to fight it. It, it reduces, um, it's like a, it's like another, um, you know, it's, it's a boost. It helps you. It doesn't, it doesn't do the fighting for you, but it boosts you so that you can fight more effectively. So it's, it's a help. Um, and so I, I definitely, yeah, it, it was it, cause I was definitely very against it initially. I was like, I'm not putting any chemicals in my body. But then now I'm like, I'm a firm believer. Like, yeah, if you need that, I mean, we have, we've been given technology and science in our day to help with these things for a reason. So those all coupled together, I, I definitely, I started to fight back and it was rough. It didn't, it, it took a long time to, to kind of get back to, to a point where I felt okay at church again, but, um,
0: I'm going to read this just from your Instagram post. Um, and this is once again, a humans of BYU. Um, I came home three years ago. It was only a year ago where I started to become myself again. I'm a firm believer in taking small steps. It doesn't matter how much improvement, as long as it's improvement. Now I can honestly say I'm grateful for the experience. That's pretty cool. I get to share it with those who came home early and didn't go. I would tell my boys each 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 week at EFY last summer, I always have one or two tell me exactly what they needed to hear. Going through it was one of the was rough, one of my Gethsemane moments, but now I see it as a blessing. Yeah. Great, really powerful words. And just one more comment and ask you some more questions. I love mm-hmm. Sister Fiona Givens, um, is one of my favorite LDS authors and this kind of goes back to if I'm in that high council room, <laughs> um, every Latter day Saint who wishes to bear another's burdens must touch that person's cross to understand the nature and depth of the pain being created, carried. So you are carrying an incredible cross here. And for me to fully understand, I've got to hear your story. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to start to give you counsel or advice or and neither of us are being critical about a high counselor we're just recognizing we need to do better, but mm-hmm. I've got to hear your story. Yeah. And I've got to touch your cross to get a feeling for the pain you're carrying if I'm going to be helpful to you. And so that's part of what we're trying to do on this podcast. But why why talk about this? So here you've got, mm-hmm. you're an EFY counselor, and mm-hmm. you're talking on this podcast, you've talked on social media. Why?
1: Um, because... One, I feel like that's the reason why it happened to me was to be able to talk about it and express. I, I feel like there's there's so many individuals that have this same story who they end up leaving the church and end up um, not having that kind of support that I had. And so I just wanted to tell people, hey, look, like... You can, you can want to leave the church. You can want to, you can have these negative thoughts and these negative feelings and still, and still end up coming back and still end up being here. I'm a living example of being here, um, and coming back to the church. And this is not a church of perfect people. This is a church of people who are trying to grow, who have to face life and have to learn, have to grow. And, um, I, uh, I, I truly believe that it happened. This, this happened to me so that I could, um, tell it. And I genuinely feel like it is a blessing now. Uh, people think I'm crazy after I tell them what I went through. They're like, you see it as a blessing. I'm like, yeah, I see it as a blessing. Well, so it's very interesting because before my mission, there was individuals who I couldn't really talk to who, um, were having doubts about the church, didn't feel like they fit the church mold, didn't um didn't feel like they belonged. And they they never really opened up to me because they were like, "Oh, he's like the golden child. He's doing everything right." Um but now ever since I've been home, it it's great. Given me an amazing capacity to empathize with people. And I've been able to talk to people that um I probably would not have been able to talk to had I served that full-time mission. I I've been gained, I've been given an insight that not a lot of people have. And it's, it's allowed me to have really good candid conversations with people that I never would have had before. And I'm really grateful for those because I would much rather um, have a person who has been, who has seen life, who has been tried and has Come through, and I'd I'd much rather listen to a person like that than somebody who um, has never really kind of had to to deal with deal with hard things. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I I love hearing those stories of people who left the church and then came back. I'm like they they get it. They they left. They they had questions, but they they came back. They knew that this was where they needed to be. Um, I'm like, those people have seen life. Those people know what life's like. And they came back because they knew this was the place to be. And I feel like that's kind of how my story was because I was like, I wanted to leave. I pretty much left for a space of a couple months, but I came back because I knew this is where I wanted to be. And, um, I just, I feel like there's a lot of people like that who, especially in the youth, like I recognized with the youth, um, that I was teaching a lot of them have faced hard things early on. I was amazed with all the things that they've faced and they'd come up to me and be like, "Braden, you know, like my testimony is really struggling. Like I'm having a..." and I could, I could literally look them in the eye and be like, Hey, I've been there. I have been there. I know what it feels like. Talk to me, tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what you're thinking. Let's talk about this. And, um, we were able to have really good conversations about it. So, that's why I'm so grateful for it because it's opened doors that I never would have been able to have opened had I not come home early. Um, and it's given me the capacity to empathize that I never would have had if I served a full-time mission. And I mean, we obviously you need people that, I mean, not every, I'm not saying like everybody should come home early from a mission, but, um, you need both perspectives you definitely need both perspective. You need a perspective of somebody who's come home and who has had to deal with that, and somebody who has served a full time mission because those aren't easy. Um, full time missions are very difficult, and just being able to do that is amazing. So I feel like you need both sides of the coin um, and you need both sides represented.
0: Great answer. And some of our regular listeners will hear some of the stuff I'm going to share, but I love this quote by Henry Noor and the wounded healer. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of the desert by someone who's never been there. Mm -hmm. So that's you, Braden, and that's your sister sitting right here, McKenna. We haven't heard her story, and I think we're all a little wounded, but when we have the ability, and I think Elder Holland is doing this, I think he's a wounded healer. Mm -hmm. The broken vessel talk. Helps me understand that there's some woundedness in that great leader. And when he opens up, when you open up, my respect for you, for Elder Holland, just goes up. And your ability then, because you know this desert that you've been walking, you talked about the empathy, the compassion, the added skills you have to lead other people out of their deserts. And they may not be in exactly the same desert, but you can relate to them. Just like you said, there's all these people now you relate to that you couldn't relate to. And that's just a wonderful spiritual gift. That's probably part of your patriarchal blessing. You've read some of that language in there and have kind of associated it with the two year mission. But I would guess there's language in there that you're recognizing you're doing things right now that are only possible because of this experience. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a beautiful ministry you have, and it's a beautiful way we're helping and healing other people. And so I, I think we can mature as church because I think the real men don't do what you're doing. In my day, (laughs) I'm 58, you're 23. (laughs) That's why I don't think your generation's softer. I don't think, I think your generation's better. And I think when I meet your generation, I have more hope in the future. Um, The men and women of your age group, because you just have better skills and you're able to share some of these things. This is one other quote. It's a long one, but I just, for any of you that are listening for the first time, it really fits in with Brady and sharing. It's from a Catholic priest. Over the last few years, I've become increasingly aware that true healing mostly takes place through the sharing of weakness. And I wouldn't say what your experience is a weakness. I don't want to say that. Mostly, we're afraid of our weaknesses, that we hide them at all costs and make them unavailable to others, but also to ourselves. And in this way, we we end up living double lives, even against our own desires, one life and where we present ourselves to the world, to ourselves and to God as the person who is control in another life in which we feel insecure, doubtful, confused, and anxious, and totally out of control. The split between these two lives can cause us a lot of suffering. I've become increasingly aware of the importance of overcoming this great chasm between these two lives, and I'm becoming more and more aware that facing with others the reality of our existence can the beginning of, of, of a truly free life. It is amazing in my own life that true friendship and community became possible to the degree that I was able to share my story with others. Often I became aware of the fact that in sharing of my story, he's actually got the word weaknesses here, listeners. I'm changing it the story. I'm sharing my story with the other. The real depths of my human brokenness and weakness started to reveal themselves to me, not as a source of despair, but as a source of hope. As long as I try to convince myself and others of my independence, a lot of my energy is invested in building up my own false self. But once I'm truly able to confess my profound dependence on others and God, like you did, I come in touch with the true self and real community can develop. Let me ask you a question. Um, mm-hmm. Do you ever go down the road that um, that your future wife won't love you because you're not a return missionary?
1: Um. I feel like if she's the right one, she'll love me no matter what. Uh, I, I never really... Uh, I never really... That wasn't something that was really bothersome to me in my mind. It was something that I definitely thought about a little bit, but I never uh, agonized a lot over. I I definitely feel like if she's the one I'm meant to marry, she will understand what happened and, um,
0: you think it will cause her to fall in love with you even more because of your story?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope so. Uh, that'd be great. But yeah, uh, I, I think, yeah, if she's the right one, she'll understand, she'll know, and she'll be able to, we'll be able to have that strength in relationship because of, because she does understand and she has that empathy. Um, not necessarily that she has to go through the same thing to not have had gone through the same thing, but, um, I definitely feel like I I've grown in a way I could have never grown over a two-year mission. Right. And, um, when I find the one that I'll be lucky enough to spend eternity with, she will see that and understand that and can be like, okay, yeah, that was, that was what he needed that, I, I hope she would have that kind of spiritual and I know, like I know now, like my wife is going to be way better than me in all facets. So I have no problem worrying that she will get it because, um, but yeah, I, it's something I never really. Good. I'm really glad you haven't
0: gone down that road and mm-hmm. some do. And I would just, um, working with the YSAs, um, You know, if I could sit at your wedding dinner and hear her tribute to you and maybe her parents tribute to you, she's going to fall in love with this part of your story. And she's going to recognize the great Christ-like and manly attributes that have come into your life because of this. And she's going to recognize you're going to be able to heal her in a way that no other guy could. You're going to be able to go with her and have conversations with her that no other guy will. And, she'll, and I say this to you, Brayden, sitting across the table, and I'm also saving it to listeners that feel a little broken. And she's going to recognize that you're going to be able to do things for your kids that, that not many people can. And so when you've got teenagers, you've got complicated stuff as parents, she's going to recognize, you know, this is one of the reasons I'm falling in love with this guy is because he is going to be able to do some things for our kids that I know will be really helpful. Maybe that's partly what your mom has been doing for you because of some of the, cha- you know, just her anxiety that you mentioned. Um, she's able to go where you need to go to help you. Um, so that's to me part of this beautiful plan of of, and I, and so I that I just feel like that's part of your journey. And for all of you that have had experiences that all the all the boxes just didn't check in the right order. Braden's a perfect example. Everything was clicking. And then suddenly everything just unclicked really quickly. And just three years, you know, of dealing with that really in the very best way you can. And I love the way you talked about even the, considering stepping away from the church and you humanize that. So we have a little more empathy for people that wonder if that's their road, because it can be a difficult experience, not from a doctrinal experience, from a culture experience. So I think you help us do better to help people that are kind of on the bubble there. And mm-hmm. I think your mom did a great job, and the advice, and the way you took it slow—you just said, "Okay, I'm not going to commit to anything more than a Sunday sacrament mm-hmm. meeting. I'm not. I'm just going to read a little bit at a time." And I think that was really thoughtful. Um, and I love now that you're telling your story. Anything you want to circle back to that I've said, or um, or any parts
1: of your story we haven't talked about? Um, there's not really.
0: And I'm going to ask McKenna a question. Um, Go for it. We may have you on a podcast <laughs> if you want to share your story. You served, you, just tell us your relationship with Braden. Are you older, or younger? I think you're younger because he's the oldest. And yeah. tell us where you served and how long you served for and kind of just a little bit why you came home.
2: So um, I am Braden's younger sister. We are only like 20 months apart, so we're just barely at that two-year mark. Um, we grew up together. He's always been my big brother and he'll always be my favorite big brother. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I served my mission in Canada in the Toronto mission. Um, and I was out for a little bit longer. I was out for six months.
1: She likes to hold that over me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I did beat him in that aspect. We're not competitive at all. But, um, yeah, my... My experience was actually very similar to Brayden's in the fact that um it centered around panic attacks and feeling confused and betrayed and overall con- just confused. That's the best way I can describe it because um it really was a time when I thought I was going to be able to like finish what he started. That's oh, kind of how I felt going sure. out that I was getting, that he started the mission and then I was going to finish it because I was going right out after him. Um, and I even, before I even went to college, I had all my papers done. I submitted it the earliest I possibly could. And so whenever that started falling apart, I had so many questions as well, but thankfully I had somebody who had already gone through it that I was able to come home to. Um, but it still was just, that whole process of coming home and finding your testimony again on the other side of a mission, because you've, you often think that's where it's going to be. You think that's like, that's where everyone gets their testimony. You're like, oh, on my mission, this happened. Like everybody loves that famous opener just on my mission. And I'm thankful for all the things I had on my mission. But like Brayden said, like coming home was in essence, like, a Kind of a Gethsemane moment, but it's been able to help me have my own testimony in a way I didn't think I'd be able to.
0: Thanks for sharing that. I feel a little guilty almost. we not giving you like a. <laughs>
2: don't, don't feel guilty.
0: <laughs> but I think a lot of our listeners are sitting here saying, I'd love to hear McKenna's story. <laughs> what a unique part of this family story. And you're both here at BYU. McKenna's, I'm going to be in nursing school or one. I'm going to be a nurse and um, just a wonderful woman. And we're here also, Elise, a sister's here who offered a prayer before we started, and a family friend, Gabby. Mm. um, Really, really close family friend. Um, Just some closing comments. One of the things I've tried to do is not rank reasons that someone comes home. So when someone comes home, and you talked about, there's kind of a natural mind game that if I'm sitting aware of it, I go, I wonder why. And sometimes I've noticed that I... I've ranked reasons for coming home. Like, okay, you know, he broke his leg. That makes sense. And then mental, but then belated confession is sort of like, he didn't fess up everything. And now he fessed up in the mission. He got sent home. And I would just this is what I've tried to do listeners. I've tried to not do that. And I've tried not to rank reasons for coming home and sort of be more kind to some people and less kind to other people based on why they came home. And my job is just what Braden taught is to love. And to put my arms around and not judge. And I'm going to leave that conversation between, um, it's just not my, I don't have any standing or stewardship or right to go there. So as far as just maturing culture, and even if I become aware of somebody that comes home for a belated confession, I'm not going to go there in a judgment way. I'm just going to show what Christ did is just love people. Um, So I wanted to share that. I have another thought I wanted to share. Oh, and I see it here is. I love the power of the atonement. It's this language that Christ descended below all things. And so even though we don't have a scriptural account of Christ going to Alaska and having this incredibly brutal experience that we can read in Matthew, and so we can understand what Braden went through, I believe that Christ descended below all things. So if if you're wondering, can Christ go where you need to go to heal you? He can go there. Now, Braden didn't need more of the atonement. One of the things I try to communicate is the atonement isn't going to take away a physical illness. It's not going to, I don't think we can ask Brayden to just pray harder and his emotional health will improve. Brayden's done a good job of communicating, went to professionals to help his emotional health. But there's a spiritual component of here of just the atonement can still help take pain out of our life and help us heal and help us move forward. Because Christ, Not this isn't a repentance-based concept. It's just that he knows the road that each of us walk that can be really painful at times. Even betrayal we feel from people in our lives that should have helped us better. So I want to be clear that what braden has gone through is not a spiritual weakness and isn't solved by increased spiritual behavior. He had to solve it through going to professionals and hitting it head on. But there's a, a, a element of staying close to the church and The atonement and people loving him that allowed, you know, you to stay a committed member of the church. And now you've got this Elder Holland-like, sorry, you're not going to like being compared to him, (laughs) but I'm going to do it. (laughs) Elder Holland-like mission ahead of you where you'll, you'll be a young men's leader. You may be a priesthood leader. And at times they won't know anything about your story, Braden. And you won't have to tell them. They will just know you get it. And somehow they'll just leave that interaction with you and go, he got it. He helped me like no one else was able to help me. And some of your greatest, they're happening all right with already with your EFY kids, but some of your greatest paydays will be those experiences with others. And that's true of you, McKenna. And I think it's true of all of us, is we're all a little wounded. And we all that's part of our ability sometimes to be able to help others. Any closing thoughts, Braden, before we sign off?
1: Um uh probably so this is something that I would tell my EFY kids, and that really kind of helped me a lot, put things into perspective was sometimes we kind of forget that we agreed to come here to be tested. We agreed to have trials like these and have insecurities and things happen to us that would test our faith. Um, I know a lot of people are like, I feel like I'm questioning the gospel. Like this isn't right. This isn't, it's like, no, we're, we're supposed to have questions. That's how you grow. As as long as you go to the right sources, you are encouraged to have questions and to grow. And, um, I don't know if in the pre-mortal life I was like, okay, yeah, give me the concussions and the coming home early and the, I don't know if I said that or not, but I know I agreed And I knew I knew full well what I was getting into beforehand, and I still agreed to come down here because I knew the benefits would far outweigh what was happening. So when when people are thinking and are are getting bitter and angry and asking God, why, why is this happening? Um, Like like I was, I was very bitter and I can honestly say being bitter hurts you more than it hurts and you, uh, it's, it's something that is, v- it's a very insidious thing that hurts yourself. And it's a very natural human emotions. That's why it's so easy to get angry and bitter, but we just have to put it within the frame of reference of, we agreed to come down here to be tested. We agreed to come down here to have trials like these. And yeah, it's, it's not going to be easy 24 seven, but you there's no growth in the comfort zone. You can't grow if you're not being tested And so when you're being tested, you can either get bitter or get better. And, um, I'm not saying I'm a perfect example. Like I, I still at times get bitter sometimes and angry about things. I'm not an expert at it, but I have noticed the times when I have tried to take a more, um, a different approach to it other than getting bitter. Things have worked out a lot better. Um, things have been, resolutions have been found Um, peace has been found. Happiness has been found in a much quicker way than when I got bitter and I got angry and I got mad because you're not truly happy when you're like that. And that, that's not, that's not where your heavenly father wants you to be. He doesn't want you to be bitter. He, and I think if anything, it makes him extremely sad because he's like, I love you and I want to be with you. And your, your anger towards me, makes me really sad because I, I, I literally just want to be there holding you. And, um, so that was just, that was, that was something I constantly would push is that like, you just got to change your perspective. You got to say, you were not, you weren't forced to come down here. You were not forced to go through these things. You agreed to it. You said, I wanted to be tested. I wanted to grow. And that's what's happening here. And you can either get bitter or get better about it. And don't beat yourself up too. If you get a little bitter, yeah, you're human. You're going to make mistakes. We're in a fallen world. Don't beat yourself up if you get bitter. If you screw up, if you get angry, it's facts of life. But try to try to always have that higher mindset, or try to develop that higher mindset, and just try to find the good in life. Life is so much better when you try to find the good and not get better, not get bitter about things. And I, I had to learn that the hard way. I had to learn that because I'm a very stubborn individual and I was like no I'm bitter and I'm staying bitter and it was not happiness and now that I've gotten past that and I'm like okay god yeah I'm angry yeah I'm mad but I'm not going to get bitter I want to understand thing I'm way happier I'm in a way better place and it's it's a very it's a much better feeling so that that's probably I don't know. That was kind of a soapbox, but good soapbox. (laughs) That's that was. That's my advice I would give to my Efy kids, and that's something that I learned through this whole process. It's
0: great, Braden McFadden. The whole McFadden family grateful for um, representing your family, sharing your story, Braden. It's a beautiful family story of pulling together and having each other's backs. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of. Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.